Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and this is a weekly program about the Camino de Santiago. Can I begin by saying thank you to all of my listeners? We reached a major milestone in terms of downloads this week. It's huge, and we've been overwhelmed by the feedback and support, and I just wanted to begin this week by saying thank you. I saw a picture on a Facebook feed last month, and I felt my heart skip a beat, a storm looming over the Meseta. And if you're thinking of walking the Camino, the Meseta is a week of walking on the plains right in the middle of the Camino. I'm no expert, but Meseta is, I think, Spanish for plateau. And collectively, the high plains of central Spain are called the Meseta. Fields of wheat as far as the eye can see, huge skies and not a tree in sight. That photograph moved me because it reminded me of the vast skies and the threat of a potential storm where there's not a lot of shade or protection. The picture was taken by an Australian pilgrim, Tanya Tivoli, who writes a blog called Midlife Vagabond. The name, I think, speaks for itself. Now, Tanya's on the line, I think, from Lisbon. Tanya, welcome. Thanks, Dan. It's great to be joining you on your, on your podcast. It's a, it's a great honour to be talking about the Camino with you. Well, the, the honour's all mine. Now, you are in Lisbon, right? You're in Portugal? Yes, we're in Lisbon at the moment. Uh, we finished the Camino about uh, on the 16th of June, actually, was the day that we finished. Did you survive that storm on the Meseta? Do you know what? It actually wasn't. Uh, it looked ominous uh, and the, as the clouds were rolling in and, and as we were walking along, uh, all the pilgrims started getting their coats and coat out because it just looked like a dead certainty that it was going to just bucket down. But that particular day when that, that photo was taken, it rolled straight over us uh, with very little, just a bit of wind, um, and it just passed us by. So uh, it was a storm that we managed to miss, which was great. So you finished mid-June. Where did you start? I started at Saint-Jean-de-Pied-de-Port in France on the French side of the Pyrenees. And what, what date? How long did it take you? In total, it took 39 days. Uh, in that, we had four rest days. So there was um, early on in the Camino, uh, I suffered tendonitis, which is very common uh, with a lot of people who walk the Camino. We're just not simply used to walking, so I guess our bodies start protesting. <laughs> uh, so I needed to, um, we needed to stop just for a day or so just to rest. Uh, that's really the only thing that you can do. Uh, so we had uh, a rest day in Burgos and, uh, and a few other rest days I'll, I'll tell you about later on perhaps. Yeah, yeah. And, and so did you, you, you suffered the tendonitis. Did you do a lot of walking before you went, Tanya? Uh, clearly not enough, Dan. <laughs> so uh, how did you end up then when you got to Santiago de Compostela? Were you in all in one piece? Oh, yes, absolutely. I was um, I was very lucky, and apart from the early tendonitis, which really lasted probably about uh, seven to ten days um, all up before it, it was over, uh, I suffered very little. Um, I know that there were many pilgrims who had major problems with their feet with blisters uh, foot care is so important on the Camino as, as you probably well know um, so you know it was, it was good that I, I managed to not really um, suffer too much and was having it, said that by yeah. the, having, having said that by the time I got to Santiago I was feeling feeling it I was feeling like I had walked for 39 days yeah 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 was this your first Camino yes it was and can you remember what motivated you to do it 
Well, that's a funny story. Um, so originally it was my husband's idea to do the Camino when he turned 50. Um, but, you know, he never got around to organising it. So um, that came and went. And uh, I guess it just planted the idea in my head. But I have to say that when I first heard about the Camino, in my head it was just a casual stroll between tapas bars in Spain. I had no idea <laughs> Really, I had no idea um, that it was as uh, is going to be as long and as tough. It's really as tough um, as it was. But in my head, I was just you know strolling from one tapas bar to the next. So, so do you remember where you first heard about it? You say your husband planned to do it for his fiftieth, but didn't get around to uh, it. But do you remember where you both first heard about it? When? How long before the discussion or the plant was the seed was planted and you actually took off? Uh, it was probably a good couple of years before we, you know, when we, when we first started talking about it. When in, initially we first started talking about it with a friend of ours, Argentinian, um, and he suggested that maybe we would bike it. Uh, but that uh, that didn't appeal to me. I thought if I'm not actually going to do a pilgrimage, I'm going to walk it and and enjoy every step of it. Um, and then, of course, you know, we we watched the way, and uh, and that was pretty inspirational. That movie, I really enjoyed it, and I, I've yet to I've yet to meet a pilgrim who hasn't watched the way, <laughs> has a motivation to do the to do the Camino. Yeah, that's right. It's if you if the seed has been planted, it it waters it and 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 fertilizes it. There's absolutely no question about that. So, are you a spiritual person? Would you call yourself as a spiritual person, Tanya? Uh, that's a really interesting question, Dan. Um, I would I would say I'm, I'm not a religious person, but there is certainly a spirituality from walk that that I that grew from walking. Um, it was interesting that in the in the year probably in the year leading up to maybe six months leading up to us going, um, I started feeling and I can't explain it any other way. The call of the Camino, everywhere I everything I read, everywhere I looked, there was something that was kind of calling me to do this. So um, I guess from that sense, it, I, I, I suppose you could say I am a spiritual person. Um, certainly that, as I said, that was enhanced by, you know, every, every day walking and reflecting. That's interesting that you should put it like that. It was calling you because my next question was, were you aware of the spiritual nature of the Camino before you left? Uh, yes, I was. And I was very aware that many people do it for religious reasons, um, and for that reason, I thought maybe I wasn't going to get much out of it because it was going to be religious rather than spiritual, but um, that was certainly not the case. Okay, so my next question is, one of your blogs is titled, Have I Found Enlightenment Yet? No. <laughs> and my butt's not getting smaller either. So did the Camino, yeah, yeah, did the Camino move you spiritually? Yes, it did. Um, and, and I can explain it best by telling you about the, um, the mornings that we would get up and walk before sunrise. Uh, on those particular mornings, th there is an energy in the earth that you can't explain, um, just that, that moment but just before dawn, and it's palpable and you can feel it. Um, and, and so, yes, I've, uh, I can't remember what the question was, but, yes, I, um, from, that, from that point of view, I think, um, you know, it was definitely a spiritual experience. I'm going to ask... All of my guests each week, and this is the first time I've asked them, about their Camino family. Tell us about your, oh, com yes. your Camino family. Uh, so, interestingly enough, here in Lisbon, uh, we had a bit of a reunion of our Camino family. Oh, lovely. Uh, which is lovely. Uh, so, our Camino family um, consisted of uh, some Aussies, 
um, who we met early on in the Camino and just kept kind of bumping into every now and then. Um, and some so a, a lovely couple from Seattle who, uh, who we're here in Lisbon with now and, and spending some time in the south of Portugal with. Uh, and, you know, other people who would come and go and you would see them and then not see them for a couple of weeks and then when you saw them again, you just picked up where you left off. Uh, it's, a, it's a very special community, the Camino community. Yeah, it, it is. And, and that's why my next question is, I've asked, what about the other pilgrims then in terms of spirituality, Tanya? Did you find them welcoming and in the spirit of what you expected to find on your journey and subsequently what you were learning and going through? Uh, absolutely. And I think um, just like in life, you attract the people that you need to attract into, you, into your world. And that was certainly the case on the Camino. So there were people, as I said, there was you know some people who were doing it for religious reasons. And I, I met them and they came and went um, clearly you know, that wasn't something that I was, um, you know, attracting uh, at that point. Um, but the people who became part of our family were people just like me. We were kind of searching for something, not really knowing what. Um, some of us were kind of looking at, well, this is the rest of our life now. So, you know, I'm, I turned 50 this year. That was another sort of reason to do the Camino. Um, and I, you know, it's sort of the rest of the rest of my life from here on. Uh, I've done mothering for 23 years, uh, and while I'll still be a mother for the rest of my life, you know, the kids are older and, and independent. And now, for me, it was it's you know it was about reassessing what it is that um, what's what's the next 20 years going to look like for me. And for the most part, most of our Camino family were kind of doing the same thing. We were kind of sort of stopping and, and assessing, and and so you would get into conversations with uh, with people that went deep very quickly uh, because you were all there for a common purpose. Wow, that's a great answer. So it leads perfectly to your blog and life as a midlife vagabond. And you quote the author, (laughs) I think it's Brené Brown, who wrote, people may call what happens in midlife a crisis, but it's not. It's an unraveling, a time when you feel a desperate pull to live the life you want to live, not the one you're supposed to live. She goes on, the unraveling is a time when you are challenged by the universe to let go of who you think you are supposed to be and embrace who you are. Tanya, can I ask, doesn't that take a certain bravery? Uh Your life is about being brave, Dan. It's not about sitting on the sidelines and watching it pass you by. But does everyone have that fearlessness, that daring? Uh, there are a lot of people I met on the Camino who do, and and certainly I agree with you. It's very it's very brave to stop um, and and reassess everything that you've known. Um, but you know, from from my perspective, the way I think about life, I, life's there for the living. It's not it's not a spectator sport. So it does take a certain bravery, but it, I think it's there's a certain um, uh, compulsion to do it i think we all need to do it where can we find the inspiration to do it do you think uh that's a really good question you could try doing the camino (laughs) (laughs) that that would be a good start and and I, i suppose one of the things or the reasons i ask that is where we can find inspiration to do it because i don't know how many these podcasts i've done now maybe 25 or something and some of the people who do it I don't want to sound unkind, but don't live exciting, adventurous lives. They're not midlife vagabonds. But somehow they find within them this energy and, and uh, purpose, if you like, 
to walk right the way across Spain. Now, if you were to say to them two years ago, they would say that's preposterous. I couldn't possibly give away my job, walk away from my job, do whatever I've done and do it. Yet I wonder, Tanya, and the question I'm going to ask you is, does that, is there more to that calling of the Camino? Is it what gives us that inspiration, that calling? Uh, is there more to it? Uh, there, is a, there is a saying amongst the pilgrim community that the Camino begins before it begins and it doesn't begin until it finishes as well. And that, that sounds a little bit um, uh, inconsistent, but I'll, let me explain. So when you first start thinking about doing the Camino, um, I guess it's just for a, lot of, for a lot of us, and myself included, it's an adventure. It's, um, it's one of those things that you think, well, that would be a really cool thing to do you know, on the bucket list before I die. And so if you really, uh, if you really in, intend, if, you're, if you have the right intention um, and you put it out to the universe, I believe that things happen. And so, you know, it, it starts with an idea of an adventure for a lot of people. Um, and it may be an adventure because, like, as you said, a lot of people don't have very adventurous lives. I don't particularly have a very adventurous life either. When I'm back at home, I run a business, my own business, and I, I have a great, you know, I love what I do. Um, but it's not particularly adventurous. It's just what everybody else does. Uh, and so the seed is planted and germinates through things that you notice and people that you meet. And I started finding that I was actually meeting just by sheer chance, meeting people who had walked the Camino. And then I started looking for it. Uh, and so, and so, you know, the adventure, the idea of an adventure begins. And then, um, and then you do your Camino, and there's a lot of learning that happens on the Camino, a lot of time to reflect and. And I was before uh, before we spoke this morning. I was actually reflecting back on the Camino, and I was thinking, you know, I don't think I had enough time to actually do all the thinking I meant to do, which yeah. is ludicrous because it was like thirty nine days of it. But I still don't think I've I've finished the thinking, and I certainly haven't unpacked all the lessons. So you know, the Camino begins when it ends as well. So there's a lot of uh, processing that you still need to do. I mean, the, the the processing of oh my god, I've just walked across the country. Um, to, you know, what is it that I've learned about myself and others and, and how, how am I going to live my life differently as a result? Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder whether the thinking that you have done and the space you found, though, you've done the thinking but you haven't done the processing. Yeah, I would say so. I haven't, uh, you know, it started but I haven't finished the processing and I, I hope I don't ever finish the processing, to be quite honest. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It, it, when you say, or when uh, you quote Brené Brown, who says people may call what happens a midlife crisis a crisis, but it's not. It's an unraveling. What happened in your life, or what changed in your life that indicated to you that there was a little unraveling happening? Uh, okay, so I guess I turned fifty. That was a milestone, and I don't. Uh, I'm, I, I celebrate. Uh, every age that I am, so it wasn't. Um, oh my God, I'm turning fifty. I don't need to, you know, lock myself in a cupboard. Um, so I was, I was celebrating the fact that I was turning fifty. Um, uh, I have two older children. Um, they're, they're both at university now. One's almost finished. Um, so it was, you know, I've, I've done. I've put a lot of time and effort into raising the girls, and I sort of felt that. You know, I had done a really good job and from here on it was up to them and I'll always be there for them. The rest is up to them from here on. So I kind of, I suppose you could say I was, I was looking for the next purpose. Like I, you know, the first 20 years you just spend growing up, the next 20 years you spend, you know, parenting 
this is the next 20 years after that and I'm not going to waste it. Like it's something that I need to really plan and think about and get the most out of it. I also lost a very dear friend uh, to, to cancer earlier this year um, and he had been, you know, sick for a couple of years so, you know, we all knew it was coming. Um, and one of the things that we talked about a lot was, you know, living life to the full and, uh, and I guess that was, that was another reason that I thought, well, now's the time to do it. So what did your family and friends make of it, this unravelling, <laughs> this midlife vagabond? Um, I guess that there's, that they're used to me coming up with some pretty insane ideas. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, and I suppose if you would ask them, you know, they, they talk, when they talk about me, they, they say I've, to them I've been, you know, a, a good role model and, you know, quite inspirational in the things that I've done, you know, that I do. So I guess I kind of throw myself heart and soul into pretty much everything I do. Um, they I don't think, I don't know if anyone really thought it was all going to happen, um, and probably including myself, but they certainly, you know, congratulate, congratulate, congratulate me now, um, having finished it. And I, I guess they're a bit in awe of the fact that it's, it's been done. And I guess the, the other thing is too, a lot of them have sort of been saying to me, you know, I wish I could do it or, you know, it was great that you could do it. I could never do something like that. And, and I'm hoping that they can see, well, anybody could actually do this. It's just walking. It's one step in front of the other. It's not, it's not that hard. We all do it every day. Are you frightened of where you might end up, where this life as a midlife vagabond might lead you? No, not at all. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to discovering where it is. The actor Will Smith appears in a Facebook video about skydiving and he says embrace yes, I've the f- seen it. Yeah, yeah, he says embrace the fear because the great stuff happens on the other side of fear. And you say on Absolutely. your blog that you've jumped out of a plane 3 times. Why? Uh, well, the first time it was cuz I was terrified and I thought, you know, how how good would it be? The second time <laughs> and can I also say that each time was a, a gift for my family and um, for a birthday, so uh, so every time I jumped, it was because they gave me a gift, that gift as a birthday gift. Um, I kind of wondered about the intention behind that, whether they, you know, after three times they've just given up and thought, well, she's never actually going <laughs> to hurt all to the ground. Um, the time I did it was probably the one I enjoyed the most because it's the feeling of free falling um, that's the that's the addictive when it comes to skydiving. It's that that the the rational thought in your head that says. I'm actually just falling to the earth right now um, and that feeling of complete freedom and that really you're in the, the lap of the gods at that point, anything could happen and you have absolutely no control. Yeah, you say at the point of maximum danger, there is minimum fear. And I've said here, that's a pretty good philosophy for a midlife vagabond. <laughs> yes, it is. So you... I always think, Dan, I, I, always, I kind of always have um, lived my life with, the, with saying what's the worst that can happen. Um, and if I live with the worst that can happen, if I'm happy with that, I'll go ahead and do it. That's really interesting. That's twice in two weeks that that has been said on my podcast. Last week, uh, the US author yes. and, and writer Stacey Wittig said that that's what God told her when she was falling down a, a slippery hill on the on the French side of the Pyrenees when she said, what am I going to do? He said, well, what's the worst that could happen? And I said then that was a pretty pragmatic God. I mean, that's a pretty pragmatic, <laughs> that's a pretty pra- yes. pragmatic way for a midlife vagabond, though, to think too, isn't it? What's the worst that can happen? Well, I get. What's the worst that can happen? I mean, really, what's the worst that can happen? And if I and I, we used to have this discussion on the Camino a lot, 
um, about, you know, we talk about dying. People would talk about dying or, you know, we talk about the end of our life. And one of the things that uh, that I often say is, you know, if I actually if got struck down tomorrow and, and, it, all, you know, and it all went horribly wrong, um, there is nothing I've left undone at, up to this point in time. And that's, that's how I want to live my life. So it's about finding the next thing so that, you know, so I don't leave anything undone. That's great. That's a great, a great philosophy also. You run a corporate training business in Melbourne. How did these life experiences filter through into your work, do you think? Oh, they very much do. So I, a lot of the time I work with leaders of organisations around, you know, overcoming challenges with their people. Uh, and so experiences like the Camino, like I've got so many stories I can share about the challenges that I had to overcome or things that I saw others having to overcome. Um, I, always, I always look for the lesson. I, I'm a teacher, you know, to my core. So everything I do, I look for the lesson in it. Uh, and when it, where I can, I always, I always try and pass that lesson on. So it very much filters in and, and often will do, um, you know, uh, I'm a professional speaker as well. So I'll, I'll often actually, you know, talk about my experiences just in the, in the motivational sense, just to, you know, help others to be inspired by what I've done. Well, you'll certainly have a lot of information uh, for the 40 days of the Camino de Santiago. So let's talk about it, your journey um, from Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port to to Santiago de Compostela, 39 days. You said you had a couple of days off. Uh, Was it sightseeing? Did you have the energy to sightsee? Did you, or was it it about recovery? No, well, the first one was about recovery because I really needed to rest my ankle. Um, the next the next one, so we had a rest day in Burgos, and Burgos is a beautiful, beautiful city uh, with a stunning cathedral. And, and it was actually, I think we were probably about maybe, you know, seven to nine days in. Um, and if, if you're not used to staying in albergues and, and living out of a backpack, if, if it's the first time you've ever done that, um, it can be pretty tough at the beginning. It's, like, it's something that you just need to get used to. So when we stopped in Burgos, we actually walked into a hotel and I was so excited because I had fluffy white towels and crisp sheets and I didn't need to get my sleeping bag out and it was it was just a nice little, you know, mini break. Uh, the next time we stopped was in, in Lyon. Uh, Lyon's a beautiful city as well and it was just a stop really because from Lyon onwards there really isn't any anywhere, anything major to see. Uh, Astorga is beautiful, uh, but really there aren't any major cities after Leon. But uh, but what we did do is we stumbled into uh, a small, tiny little town called Hospital d'Orbigo, uh, and it was um, they were setting up for a medieval festival. And now we came in on we would have got there about I don't know maybe twelve o'clock on a Friday, and uh, we saw that the whole town was setting up this. And it was transforming itself. As we were sitting there watching, it was just transforming into a medieval town. And then we found out that there was a festival on that weekend. Um, now, we had had plans to keep walking to Astorga, but uh, uh, when we saw this, it was like, oh, we have to stay. So we, uh, we booked into a, a, an albergue, and it was a beautiful albergue called St Nicholas. It was, it's run by a gorgeous Venezuelan couple. And when they, you know, we said, I oh, would like to stay for, for one night and they said oh but the festival's on all weekend why you know why don't you if you can why don't you stay for the weekend now for those of people who are listening you know will know usually albergues on the Camino will only let you stay one night um two yeah, if, yeah. you know if you're 
if you're injured. And here were, here were these lovely couples saying, why don't you stay for the weekend? And, uh, and so we decided to. So we kind of threw the plans to, you know, get to a store to go out the window um, and said we can't miss this. Uh, so, um, so it was an amazing festival. We, we stayed Friday night and we booked for Saturday night as well. And then, uh, and then Sunday was apparently the grand finale of the, of, the, uh, of the jousting competition and there was, you know, music happening in the street. And on, on the Saturday night uh, or Sunday morning, um, there was a big fire procession across the medieval bridge. Now, that happened at 1.30 in the morning. For those of us who are pilgrims will know we don't see 1.30 in the morning very often because uh, we usually, you know, we're asleep at 9 because yeah. uh, we get up so early to <laughs> to walk. So uh, so we just had this, like, you know, little mini break, this, this break from the Camino, but uh, a break into a medieval world. And uh, the, the albergue, the host of the albergue, uh, let us borrow some costumes because uh, everyone was in costume. Uh, so we got to sit in the stands rather than stand on the bridge with everybody else. And it was just the most amazing experience. And there were um, two other people who were you know, part of my Camino family uh, who stayed there as well. And, and you know, we, we talk, we, I just caught up with someone the other day here and, uh, and we still talk about it wasn't an amazing weekend that we had. So that was a really good lesson for me. And, you know, good observation for um, for me being on the Camino. You know, you're, you may often have plans to walk to the next place and a lot of people kind of get caught up in I've got to get to the next place. Uh, but sometimes you just sort of need to stop and have a look at what's going on around you and, and, and just, you know, go with the flow and um, and become involved in, in what's around you and, uh, and not worry so much about the fact that you haven't done your 25K for the day, you know. Wow, what a great story. So oh, it was an amazing weekend. Yeah. So, so as you left Leon, now you can walk along the highway and you come to, I think, uh, Saint Saint Martin del Camino, or did you you went off the beaten path? Did you did you take the scenic route? So you came out of Leon and you turn left. Uh, I think so, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the way you get to Hospital, yeah, is by turning left. I didn't go that way. I thought, well, if I'm doing it in the very first time I went, I wanted to stick to the traditional route, but it's not really much of a deviation. It, but I'm told that route is very beautiful that leads you to Hospital. Uh, yes. And I know this is going to sound very strange for people who uh, who may not have done the Camino yet, um, but it's interesting how you actually forget... Um, the detail of it, uh, as in, if you asked me which town passed through, I would not be able to tell you. Um, it's interesting that you forget that. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, and then someone will say something to you. Oh, I stopped in this, and you think, Oh, yeah, I stopped there. I know exactly where yeah. you are, and you'll remember what you had for lunch. <laughs> Correct. The, the 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 memories are there. Look, I know you've you've got to 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 go because you're you're travelling later this morning. And you've been very kind with your time. Uh, what would you say to someone considering walking the Camino? Someone who is perhaps fearful of doing it. Fearful of doing it. Um, what would I say? Look, it's it's just a walk. I, I used to say, how how hard can this be? It's just a walk, uh, and it really is. It's it's just a walk, and it's some time to spend with yourself uh, and I don't think we you know in our busy lives when we're not pilgrims um, we don't give ourselves enough time to spend with ourselves so I think that was um, I think I would I would encourage them to do that and look you don't have to do the whole 800 uh, you know if, if people are fearful of it we met so many people particularly Europeans who, who they only do it for two weeks at a time because that's all the time that they have you know vacation yeah, time yeah 
Um, so, you know, it can be done in small steps, but it's interesting that it's just the small steps that add up to the, to the big thing. So, and that, that was one of the learnings for the, from the Camino for me because when I first, you know, when I first heard about Camino, I thought 800 kilometres, you've got to be nuts. I'm not going to walk 800 kilometres. But it's, it's 39 days of 22 kilometres or whatever it was a day and it, it's really doable. It's not hard. And if someone's listening and they're thinking of walking, what would be the one thing that you'd recommend they take? What is essential when you walk the Camino? What is essential? Um, you've got to have really good shoes. Uh, there's absolutely no question about that. And and uh, you don't need to take as much as you think you do. You, you can live very simply out of you know a few clothes on, on your back. So don't move a pack with your eye. And here you are saying that your shoes are the most important thing, yet I was on your blog this morning and they're in a box, a photograph yeah, they are. the ugliest shoes in the world. Well, you see, um, Dan, when I first started the Camino, I bought these shoes. Well, should I say, when I first bought the shoes, I looked at them and I said, you are the ugliest shoes in the world. Um, and <laughs> I've never owned an uglier pair of shoes, I have to say. And so um, our first night at St. John, uh, we stayed at a beautiful um, albergue called Bailari, uh, and Joseph and his sister run it. And one of the things that they asked us, it was a beautiful start to the Camino. It was a very special kind of celebration of the beginning of the Camino. And he gathered us all around and he said, if you're going to make uh, a movie uh, of your Camino, before you start, you don't know what's going to happen, but if you're going to make a movie of your Camino, what would the title be? And it, straight away in my head popped up, Tanya and the ugliest shoes in the world adventure. <laughs> so that became, you know, people wanted to know what was happening with the ugliest shoes. So I was very actually, they served me well. Uh, they're very functional, but I was very glad to put them in a box at Santiago and send them home. That's, that's a great story. That is so great. Yes, they're not particularly flattering either, are they? Uh, hiking shoes. No, they're just awful. One more. Before we sign off, is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I guess this is kind of a philosophy for my life as well, but there's nothing that you can't do if you put your mind to it. Um, so if anyone is thinking about doing the Camino um, and you're worried, like get in touch with people who, are, who have done the Camino. Uh, one, of the, one of the most inspirational people that we met, literally we met him three days, maybe four days before we left, and, uh, and uh, he, he probably listens to this as well. Um, but our, our mate Trevor, and uh, he talked to us, we, we had coffee one day, and, and he just talked to us about his stories of the Camino. And uh, I think the more you, the more you, you reach out to people, um, if you're fearful about doing the Camino, the more, you know, you, they'll help you um, and inspire you with their stories. So... That's, that's what I meant. Just reach out to people. And the Camino community, as you know, Dan, I mean, we're very, um, we're very giving in, in our time and our energy. So, um, you know, I would certainly say for anyone who wants to do the Camino, just reach out to someone who has. Oh, Tanya, you've been very kind with your time and energy today. Safe travels in the days and weeks ahead. Thank you, Dan. Thanks very much. Thanks. And buen Camino. I haven't heard that for a while. Thank you. Bye-bye now. My guest this week, the Melbourne-based corporate trainer and blogger, Tanya Tithily. You can find Tanya's blog at midlifevagabond.com. The stories and photographs are just lovely, and I was delighted to discover it. Midlifevagabond.com. I have a feeling my journey has only just begun. I received a message from a listener this week via my Facebook page, and I know a lot of you listen 
while you walk. This is from Virginia. She said, thank you for the My Camino podcast. It has been a wonderful experience listening each week. In fact, even my sister, who has no interest whatsoever in walking anywhere, loves listening too. She says, last year, a couple of friends, Paul and Clive, walked from saint jean pied de port to Finisterre. I followed along their daily route on Facebook and was enamoured with the idea that one day I could walk in those footsteps. Presently, another friend, yet another Paul, is walking the same route. And once again, I'm following along on Facebook, waking early each day for the next instalment. I'm especially drawn to photos of the roads and paths stretching into the distance. When I see them, a song starts playing in my mind and stays with me for the rest of the day. She says, back in 1981, in my mid-teens, I had a boyfriend who was the proud owner of a mixed cassette tape of cool music. Remember them? Uh, Yes, we do. (laughs) Well, amongst those very cool songs, Virginia says, was The Golden Miles by Healing Force. Virginia says, alas, the cassette tape is no longer, but thankfully the boyfriend, now husband, remains. She says, the golden miles is the song that accompanies any image I see of the Camino. It occurs to me how appropriate the lyrics are, and I know they will accompany me on my Camino this September and October. Virginia says, I'm hoping one can't die of musical earworm. She says, here are the lyrics. It could easily be the Camino miles. The golden miles before me, the black tracks of my shoes behind me, leaving things I've waited for this day. Thoughts of my home. With many, I was lonely. And now with a dream in my mind, I am searching for love. The places and the towns that I had my chance to come to. The people turn away. To hell with them, I say. Thoughts as I roam. With many, I am lonely. And now, with the golden miles before me, I search on for love. And now as I hold you near, I see the tables turning. You know, I have to thank you for all that I am learning. And now as you show me the reason for my searching, here in the depth of the golden mile, living for love. Virginia says, so that will be the soundtrack of my Camino. The Camino Francis will be the first six weeks of a one-year adventure for us. We have no fixed plans past January, so maybe further Caminos await us. She says, I wish you well and look forward to hearing many more Camino stories. Regards, And kind regards in Buen Camino, Virginia. So if you're listening while you're walking or listening in the car or the kitchen bench, the office or traveling on a bus or a train or if you're listening on the Camino, here's Golden Miles by the Australian band Healing Force written by Lindsay Wells. It spent 19 weeks in the Melbourne charts in 1971 here in Australia reaching number 31. tracks of my shoes behind me, leaving things I've waited for this day. Thoughts of my home, with many I was lonely, and now with a dream in my mind, I am searching
As you show me the reason for my searching here in the depth of the Golden Mile, living for love. Golden Miles by the Australian band Healing Force and Virginia's Camino Song. Thank you all for listening and thanks again for your support and encouragement. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. (laughs) 